Hi, this is David Yaz at the Boston Podcast Network, hoping you are staying safe and healthy during this period of precaution over the coronavirus. It's difficult to connect with your clients and contacts in a period such as this, but here we continue to produce podcasts that allow you to connect with the people that you want to reach. You've got a wrapped audience like never before. People are home, they're listening, and they're waiting to hear from you. We can create a professional podcast with a quick turnaround and do the whole thing remotely so you don't have to leave your home. Get in touch with us at pod617.com. From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. This is our f***ing city. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, all the ships at sea, lovers, muggers, and thieves. Welcome to the Boston Podcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, share it with a friend, leave us a review, anything to spread a little love. I'm told that it's all about love these days with everything that's going on in the world. Hope everyone's pandemic is still uh, a fruitful one. And maybe there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Who the hell knows? But as we've been doing on this show, highlighting people who are still doing what they do in the middle of a pandemic, I have three members of Henning's, Henning Strategies on the line here. And if you ever need someone in the field of crisis communications, I'd say this is their time. I'd say this is a freaking crisis. Do you agree, folks? I think you will. Anyway, please welcome to the virtual studio, Greg Henning. Ben Merrigan, and Vince DeMore from Henning Strategies. Here they are. First off, Vince, I have a feeling I might have gotten your last name wrong. DeMore? DeMore? No, you've got mine right. I think Ben may have uh, suffered the uh, the indignity. Ben, how do you pronounce your last name? It's uh, Megrian. Say that again, please. Megrian. Megrian. Okay. I, I'm writing on a whiteboard in my virtual studio here, and um, I can't read my own writing. Um, but I'm going to take your word for it, Ben, that you're pronouncing your own name correctly. I just have to. So let's let's um, Greg. Let's let's start with you. It is your company, and you are you're all former prosecutors in f- former assistant DAs in Suffolk County, which I think is interesting. So before we start to talk about the pandemic and everything that's going on, I'm just, it, it does intrigue me the strategy that you have, because you don't necessarily think of ex-prosecutors going this way. So tell me what the inspiration was. Uh, first, thanks for having us on the show. The inspiration was to use the work that we did uh, dealing with critical incidents, often in the middle of the night and put it into the business world. So as former prosecutors, we spent about a dozen years each responding to things like people getting killed in the middle of the night, um, fires, other criminal incidents where we're called in in order to assist law enforcement, help victims, talk to witnesses, identify evidence, and figure out what the next steps are. And that's really what you're doing if you're a business or an individual facing a, a critical situation. Yeah. I think the easy way for people leaving DA's offices is to go start a traditional law firm, do we cheat them how? by the hour and, and do that. We just didn't want to do that. We wanted to take a risk and do something to use our skill set to give companies and individuals a competitive advantage. And that's what we've been doing. Mm-hmm. Dewey, Cheatham and Howe is the most mentioned law firm in the world. They, they must do a brisk business. Was that actually the Three Stooges? Is that where that comes from? Do you know? I think that's what the origin <laughs> is. I think. Okay. We don't have to talk about the Stooges. Um, <laughs> 
Ben, why don't, why don't, uh, I want to go around the horn here. So, Ben, tell me why you were keen to this idea. Uh, well, part of it is the is the two other guys that are in the firm. Um, these are friends of mine, people that I've grown up in the DA's office with. We have a level of uh, trust among the three of us, which is important anytime you're going to be going out on your own and starting a new business. Um, but I also, in working with these two guys, uh, have come to know their judgment and their skill sets in terms of problem solving and, uh, and attacking a, a problem uh, that might be very stressful um, and thinking critically uh, and, and creatively. So I can't really think of two better guys to be in business with. And the, the actual concept itself of trying to take our uh, crisis management and our messaging that we used at the DA's office uh, and apply it uh, in, in somewhat of a, a different context uh, was interesting to me. I also like to take risks. So this seemed like a, a nice endeavor. And, and so far, it's been fantastic. Uh, I'm having a blast uh, doing this operation with these guys. Um, and, uh, you know, so far it's been uh, beyond my wildest dreams how, how, how well it's been working out. You mentioned you like to take risks. I do tend to fall back on a credo that, <clears throat> pardon me, <clears throat> COVID. No, not COVID cough. That's a regular cough. Um, pardon me a minute. Ah, dramatic podcast. Pause. I was having a sip of tea. Anyway, Ben, Ben, you said you like to take risks. I, I like to think that if you haven't taken at least one risk in your career, you're, you're selling yourself short, and that goes across the board. And I think people who tend to be, a lot of lawyers, by the way, dissatisfied in their careers is because they feel they, take a, they go the traditional path and they take a job with a law firm. And then, you know, 15 to 20 years later, they realize that, you know, it really isn't as exciting as they hoped it would be, really not as fulfilling. So um, when you say you took a, a risk, um, you like to take risks. How big, a, how big a risk was it? And did you actually consider going a more traditional route? I absolutely considered going a more traditional route. I mean, I had, um, you know, my, pra- my track record prior to 2018 was not to take too many risks. I had been in the same job. I mean, I'd been in the DA's office for 10 years. Um, and a reason why I was at that office was because I loved the work that I did. Uh, I found it fascinating and, um, and I, you know, there's a real camaraderie there. Uh, but you know, the, when I was going to make my next move after the DA's office, I thought to myself, just as you described, Hey, maybe I can go and work at a law firm, uh, or maybe I can go and work at another, uh, public state agency. And I think everybody who leaves the DA's office knows in the back of their mind that they may not be able to have as much fun and enjoy what they're doing as much in the next step. And I just wasn't ready to swallow that. So with this new venture, I was able to decide, hey, I can create this with these guys. Um, We can make this what we want it to be. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a risk starting a company from scratch, but uh, it's, it's been terrific. And, I, right now, I can't imagine working for somebody else. I mean, the three of us put our heads together. We bat problems around. All three of us will say, hey, look, I don't think that that's a very good idea. Let me tell you why. Um, we have, uh, you know, nobody's overly sensitive uh, in terms of batting ideas around. And, and we usually come to a conclusion or, or, or a solution together. Um, and we don't always. Uh, we don't think exactly the same. But uh, somehow this, uh, this works the, the way that we have it crafted. I um, am reminded of my friend and former Suffolk County prosecutor, Eric Nyman, who worked in the murder unit under 
who was it Ralph Martin or whoever came after Ralph Martin? I don't remember. But anyway, he claimed to have been the first Jewish guy to have been in the murder unit. So he called himself the Jewish Jackie Robinson. He now sits on our appeals court. So shout out uh, Justice Nyman. Um, and Ben, before I, before I um, go to someone else here, I'm going to assume that that is a permanent beard you have. Ben is sporting a majestic beard. Is that a pandemic beard or is that the permanent beard? Well, it's a pandemic beard for now, but, you know, it may turn uh, permanent. Uh, my, my wife is not a huge fan of it, um, but here I am with this beard. I got a haircut yesterday, and they said at the barbershop that they're not permitted to actually touch beards at the barbershop. Oh. So, is that so, right? You know, that might have been a sign from a, a higher power that uh, this thing is here to stay. Let's just say if Ben had a cowboy hat, he could walk into a room with the full group ZZ top and look completely in place. Um, Vince, let's go, Vince, let's go to you. Tell me what kind of cases you handled in the DA's office and how that prepared you for this venture. Sure. And, and I think it's, it's, it's a great question because the sorts of cases that I handled are in many ways, the motivating factor for me for why I went this route, as opposed to the traditional either hang a shingle or go work for a law firm and sort of the traditional legal route. Um, uh, so my career path in the DA's office, um, I think it's fair to say was a unique path uh, in terms of the sorts of cases that I handled. Um, I had the um, privilege or misfortune, depending upon your perspective, of being the attorney for the for the Commonwealth on all of the Annie Dukin drug lab litigation that oh, yeah. uh, have enveloped the state over a number of years. Uh, and then uh, following that, um, because apparently the powers that be didn't realize that my bachelor's degree was uh, in the arts and not the sciences. Uh, I was then asked to handle the breathalyzer litigation that uh, sort of followed on after the drug lab uh, scandals. Uh, so the sorts of work I did there was certainly legal in nature. Obviously, I appeared many times in the appeals court in the SJC. I handled evidentiary hearings on those sorts of cases. Um, but really, it was more than that, because that was what they call impact litigation. That's big picture stuff, big policy issues, um, and really, you know, developing a response to a crisis and developing um, really a system with how to deal with a really novel and brand new uh, environment and situation. So had I gone the traditional route, I feel like I would have been using only a certain percentage of both the skill set I developed and what I thought was my natural capacity in terms of what I could accomplish. Um, and maybe that percentage is 80%, 90%. Maybe that percentage was 20 or 30%, but it certainly wasn't 100%. And I feel like if I had the opportunity, as I do uh, with these guys, uh, to create something from scratch that allows me to use those skills and leverage that experience, that I'd be in a position where I can actually use 100% of that capability and do so for the benefit of our clients. Uh, and I think, you know, it's been tremendously rewarding. Um, it's been uh, tremendously fun. Uh, you know, I can't say that, you know, in the year and a half, two years we've been doing this, that, that I feel at any time that I've actually worked in the sense that I don't wake up in the morning and feel like I have to drag myself into my tasks, you mm -hmm. know, the, the flows naturally. It feels, it feels good. It feels fun. And there's been a real, uh, for me, uh, a really nice, uh, side effect of all that is the ability to work for individual clients, right? So when you're in the DA's office, the way I'd always describe it is it's a process-oriented business, not an outcome-oriented business. I, throughout my entire career, could care less as a prosecutor if I won or lost a case. Didn't matter to me at the end of the day. What mattered is that the process was respected 
and I did everything I was supposed to do within that process. And so long as you're process oriented as a prosecutor, you're always going to be within the ethical bounds. Um, but when you're representing private individuals, you begin to see their true stories. You begin to see the life that exists beyond the caption of the case. And it's been really rewarding to help people who find themselves in spots of trouble uh, and many times unfairly, candidly, uh, and to be able to help them and help them craft individualized uh, solutions to their issues. I think that's been tremendously rewarding and, and I'm exceptionally happy and glad that I, I, I made the decision I made. It's interesting how you, you say that you didn't care whether you won or lost. Um, an absolutist would say you certainly, certainly should care. You should be putting these people away. But I wonder if it lies in the fact that um, there's a, a lot of nuance in defining success. And now what you do now, success is surely not defined. Well, I don't think defined as win or lose, but do things like preserve your reputation, get the information that you need. Am I onto something there, Vince? Yes, definitely. It's um, it's it's not a question of a guilty or a not guilty conclusion of a trial. Uh, it, it's it's success in some ways for the for the clients can be more difficult to gauge because there isn't a binary outcome that that can be expected from any particular situation. It sort of is a choose your own adventure novel in terms of which direction you go. And uh, you know some of the determinations about whether or not you've quote unquote won or lost are normative in nature, and you, you find yourself in a, in, a, in a situation where within the range of outcomes, uh, you know, you hope, uh, and so far we've had this, the, been fortunate enough, and I think through hard work, um, been able to, to bring the range of outcomes for our clients up to the sort of higher quartile of, of successful outcomes. Well, I can tell Greg's a good boss because he's been waiting patiently as his colleagues um, sing the praises of what they do. But Greg, why don't what, I want to get more into what you do because it's an interesting mix. It's not just you're a straight PR firm. It's, it's in fact far from it. Crisis management, but also investigations, background due diligence, uh, litigation strategy, counsel, all this. Give me an example, if you could, of how you have helped someone. And of course, I want you to preserve your client's confidentiality if you need to. But um, if you could give us an idea of when, at what point of the story you came in and helped someone. Sure. Um, and also, I should say, I'm nobody's boss. And okay. in fact, Vince runs the books and he is, uh, he is the financial wizard of all this. I have to defer to him on most of these things. We went into it in part as three-way partners because we can rely on everybody to, to help out equally. But in terms of helping wait clients, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait individual a minute, wait a minute, Greg. So why is your name on the masthead? <laughs> I have to ask. Someone had My to be there, I guess. Great question, great question David. I've yeah. been trying to figure that out also. <laughs> <laughs> My name is on the uh, is on the company because um, prior to starting the business, I ran for office uh, for Suffolk County District Attorney, and so. I was in the position of doing the introductions and meeting people to explain what we do and what our business is. And it felt natural to, um, to use that. And other than the name, there really is uh, nothing that distinguishes me from these two except skill sets. Theirs is different from mine. So I just have to be the one that goes in uh, and uses my name, but it's not in any way uh, about hierarchy. Um, Fair enough. So when we like, are, I, like I said, he's like, like I said, he's a good boss. Sorry. Continue Greg and, and uh, answer my earlier question when you can. <laughs> And Greg's name is also easier to pronounce, which is the benefit. Uh, I've, I've just proved that this morning, unfortunately. <laughs> Go ahead, Greg. We have individuals who call us and they'll say, for example, I run a business and I think a, a business um, partner is stealing from me. 
and I want to be able to investigate whether that's happening without calling our attorneys because that's typically what happens um, in a business. There's attorneys that do their closings or their deal work, their contracts. They can't do that when they really need to dig to the root of a problem. So you can't go to the traditional law firms to do that. But more importantly, we know how to dig because that's what we did as prosecutors, finding evidence, interrogating people, getting information and finding the truth was the core of what we did. And the business world needs that, whether it's an individual that's a, an owner of a business or a board at a company that needs to get information. So people will call us with criminal issues. They'll call us with issues that overlap on matrimonial and probate problems. They'll have indiscretions that they're worried about becoming public or literally we'll call in the middle of the night and say, something just happened to me. I need to talk to somebody that can never repeat what I'm about to tell you. So the fact that we are a PR communications firm, but is also a law firm, structured as a law firm, we can provide attorney-client privilege. And that really distinguishes us from any other communications operation that's out in the world. Companies will also call us to do background investigations on other companies that they're going to acquire or people that they're going against in litigation. So for example, one of the clients that we had contacted us and said, we're going to purchase this company that's out West. We want to know about the CEO of the company that we're going to purchase. And over the course of our investigation, we determined that the CEO had lied about certain backgrounds uh, that she had, degrees. And uh, that information is very valuable to a company that's going to make an acquisition, to an investor, business partners, uh, and attorneys. So there really is no limit as to the type of work we can do. It can be companies, it can be individuals that need to get to the bottom of something. They need discretion and they need attorney and client privilege. Did you think about being more narrow because I know there are, there are certainly PR and, and firms that call themselves crisis management. And then there are investigators. And you, did you think about choosing one of those lanes? Because those are more, I see those folks more common out and about professionally. Um, did you have, was that a big discussion to, to figure out that you wanted to call yourself Henning Strategies and offer all of that? That's to you, Greg. Yeah, it was definitely something we discussed after doing our market research. We knew that there were law firms that provided traditional services, but often those firms and the attorneys that work there are charging extremely high dollar amounts, but don't have the understanding of how the press and media focus on an issue and how things can spin out of control. And if there's a communications aspect for a client, often, if not most of the time, the client will have to pay for the attorney who then subcontracts out work for the communications firm. So they're paying twice to get information kept confidential. We realized that we could fit into the middle of that while having an investigative background and the ability to know what type of evidence exists and how to get it. So after kicking the tires in the market, we realized that there was nobody else that was doing this type of work that could provide both a media perspective, how to dig on something and get our uniform dirty if we need to, and have the ability to never tell and never have to be deposed and never provide information because we are providing legal services. Mm -hmm. um, so to, to cover all aspects of pandemic beards, I will <clears throat> share with our listeners that Greg is sporting an, an unusual beard. Well, it's a half beard. It's on the way, but it's trimmed in a certain way that you've got. It's kind of like goatee, but then the goatee kind of flares out uh, each side of his chin. The research department here at the Boston Podcast has determined that this beard is called a Hollywoodian, or at least that's the closest to it now. But however, I, I, I need to ask you, because this is obviously the most important thing we're talking on this episode. What inspires that? What do you call that? Or is it a new creation? Uh, it is simple laziness. <laughs> I have decided that uh, 
after uh, a period of time, I was just done with shaving because I wasn't going to have to uh, appear on any sort of uh, public broadcast. Right. And my wife does not like it. And so that inspires me to keep it around for a little <laughs> to antagonize. Yes, this is this is audio only. So um, you're safe. Um, although I do think you should share that style with the world because you, it, we could just call it the Greg. It could be a new thing. But I'm convinced that the reason why the goatee was invented in the first place is was out of laziness. Because as men, we know that if you're in a rush, the easiest thing is to shave on the right side and the left side. The, un, the, the mustache and, you know, the soul patch and under the chin, that requires more work. So um, this has been a, a Beard Styling Minute with Dave in the Boston Podcast. Hope everybody enjoyed that. Um, ben, 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 let me go to you. Um, you, you're all still mem- members of the bar, I glean from what Greg just told me. Does that mean that you are still within the boundaries of all the ethics rules it, it, when it comes to investigating, or are there things you can do that other straight-out attorneys maybe couldn't? Uh, yeah, we, we take the ethical rules extremely seriously. There's nothing that we're going to do that's going to run afoul of those um, I think when Greg was talking about uh, certain techniques and, and knowing to look for information in certain places, that's something that I can borrow from the DA's office um, and, and use to our advantage that maybe uh, other attorneys who um, don't do as much investigative or background work, uh, they don't have. Another thing I wanted to add on to what Greg said was, um, you know, we do hear complaints about people who say, hey, look, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I have a, a law firm, but uh, I've you know, they've assigned me a second year associate uh, to work on my project or my case. And um, we like to fancy ourselves as sort of a three-man discrete operation, but you know that you're going to be getting one of us, somebody with over a decade, decade of experience um, in assessing a case, investigating a case, uh, and presenting a case uh, in court if need be. So um, I think that's another distinguishing characteristic uh, of our shop as opposed to um, having to go to a firm who then has uh, – sends you to a PR person. We're sort of one-stop shopping in that respect. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, to answer your, your original question, the, the, the ethical bounds are always going to be respected at the highest level from us. Um, and, and knowing where uh, we can and can't look or should and shouldn't look uh, allows us to uh, keep the client safe, but also to get creative uh, in thinking of new ways uh, and different ways to get it information, knowing that, um, you know, Route one might lead us down a sort of troublesome path. Route two is going to keep everybody uh, protected. Yeah. I mean, the ethical rules are there for a reason. And I often wonder why other professions don't have, uh, I mean, they're, they're sometimes they're draconian in their use, but most times they're reasonable. And, you know, people working with people like you should know that there are guidelines for what you can do and what you can't do. When I was a reporter way back at Lawyers Weekly, one of the first stories I wrote, 1995, I want to say, was about an outfit called Burak Investigations, I want to say. Anyways, as it happened, the the guy was, uh, Steve Burak, was a lawyer turned investigator who um, I had gone to summer camp with. And he was a little bit of a jerk. I'm sorry, Steve, but I, I love you, but you know. And um, maybe that's why he became a good investigator. Unfortunately, he got he got... Um, sort of pinched for doing things like impersonating others when going into banks and asking for information and other things like that, which eventually the, I believe the SJC found out was indeed a violation and he had to um, change his business model. Anyway, uh, 
Vince, let's let's go to you. You're lucky enough to get the first pandemic question. Um, how has life changed for you guys during this? And 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 or are there specific moments during this pandemic that you've been able to step in and, and help clients with crises arising out of COVID? Sure, I'll answer the second question first. That's We've had a number of number of clients uh, who've uh, obviously have brick and mortar locations and. Uh, when the shutdowns were occurring, as you recall, the governor sort of shut things down relatively quickly, but it's still in a phased way where you know certain businesses closed before others. Uh, and some of some of our clients, in fact, have continued to operate throughout the pandemic because they weren't they're an essential business and were allowed to continue to operate. So, you know, helping them uh, understand exactly how they should set up their physical plants, uh, helping them understand ways that they can maximize safety within their own shop, both for their employees and their own customers. Um, and uh, also, of course, making sure that, that they're within the bounds of what the governor's executive orders required in terms of how they were to operate. Uh, we've had other clients who have sort of private contractual relationships um, with vendors uh, for whom they needed help uh, making sure that they didn't accrue uh, any liability through the course of those relationships. Um, and, and of course, we've also had um, some, as things begin to reopen, uh, clients who have issues with employees uh, in terms of transitioning them back into the workplace, um, some of whom have not wished to return to the workplace, and exactly how that interfaces with the uh, state's unemployment benefits, uh, and also what their uh, requirements are under the uh, CARES Act, under the uh, Americans with Disabilities Act, and, and all of those uh, facets. It's, it, it, it is a fairly complex, um, it's as simple as it could have been, I think, given the complexity of the situation, but still a, a relatively complex regulatory scheme these businesses are really forced to operate under in a really short period of time. For, for us, I think uh, the biggest difference is that we're rarely in the office anymore. And, and candidly, in many ways, the office was simply a place to go that I think many of us have discovered uh, across the world. Um, and I, I wonder what this will do to the commercial real estate market, mm -hmm. uh, that the habit of going to the office uh, was merely that. And I think in the long run, there's still value in office space. There's still value in coming together. We have the advantage that this, this sort of, I hate to use this word, but the, the synergy that we've already developed over the course of a dozen years of friendship is an existent thing, which will continue in this work from home environment. Um, but of course, big businesses, uh, which have turnover and new employees coming in, it's difficult, if not impossible, to indoctrinate a new employee into the office culture if they're in a work from home environment. Um, so, you know, I think the biggest difference for us has been uh, the infrequency with which we actually physically appear in the office. And it's also been uh, a challenge at times um, working with clients where working a face to face meeting uh, is not always possible uh, and having to do meetings such as these over Zoom. Um, and, you know, Zoom's a great tool and these video conferencing uh, software suites are, are fantastic for what they are. But it's really difficult to replace that face-to-face -face eye contact uh, that you get. And you can't believe there's even some science about this, that the, the lag time and the delays from the question to the response, uh, you know, changes the way that we perceive the answers, um, you know, in terms of the way our, our brains process the information. And, and you know, it's, a real, it's also difficult sometimes, or it can be difficult to develop a, a real close rapport with someone if you're doing the, the Zoom uh, interaction. I think we've been really lucky that we haven't had a, a ton of issues with regards to that. Uh, it's something I think everyone in every industry is going to have to think about as this continues on. 
Um, but, but yeah, again, I think that the biggest change has been really just the sort of habit breaking of going to the office to go to the office. Mm. There's, there's very little I do in the office that I can't do right here uh, at my dining room table. I think that you're spot on in a lot of things that you said, including the shift, the, the potential sea change in the way people think about commercial office space. And just it's, it's an obvious point, but simply knowing that you can do everything remotely, if you've got a hellish commute, why not avoid it? I'm be fascinated to see what this does to traffic in Boston. Here's my prediction. It's still going to suck. I just some, somehow it's still going to suck. I hope it doesn't. But um, <clears throat> but excellent points. We're up against the clock a, a little bit here. In a moment, guys, this is your um, I'll give you about, you know, uh, a minute and a half of prep time for this segment, which I neglected to tell you about before the show. But we, <laughs> we play a segment called Good Stuff. So just before we say goodbye, I'll ask you to recommend something good to our listeners, maybe a, a pandemic coping device. This is just for fun. So anything that you're you're doing, um, whether outside or inside, even something good you've seen on TV, anything like that. There's your uh, homework assignment, which comes due in about two minutes. Before we get there, Greg, why don't you please tell our listeners how they can get in, in touch with your outfit? There's a few ways to get in touch with us. Um, first, you can go to our website, which is Henning Strategies, H-E-N-N-I-N-G, and strategies with an S at the end, dot com. There's a portal there where you can send us a question, and it'll come to us on email, and we'll get back to you. You can also call us 617-299-6534. Again, 617-299-6534. Our emails are on the website, so it's easy to track us down that way. And uh, we're also on, uh, on Twitter, so uh, it's easy to reach us. And we look forward to hearing from anybody that's got a question, even to just do a quick consult. Terrific. And we will put that information in the show notes portion of this uh, podcast if you want to reference it. And certainly do get in touch with Greg, Vince, and Ben. We're going to play good stuff before we close, but before we do that, I just want to briefly remind you of what we do at the Boston Podcast Network. Pod617.com is the website you should visit if you'd like your own podcast. Is now a good time to start one? Well, you're darn right it is. You're at home. You've got time on your hands. We'll ship a USB microphone out to you, the good kind quality, not the crappy ones. And produce your podcast from start to finish. We've been doing everything remotely for a couple of years now, so we're, this is nothing new to us. It's a great way to market what you do. And if you'd like to be a guest on this show, the Boston Podcast, no strings attached, no fee. If you want to remind someone or if you have a client who'd like to remind someone that they're still in business and kicking during this pandemic, simply email me, email me at david at pod617.com. Okay, let's play good stuff. Oh, that's the good stuff. usually where I joke to the guests that you, you missed the point if you weren't dancing during the introduction segment to good stuff. However, you guys are former prosecutors. You're badasses, so I'm going to give you a pass. They weren't dancing. Anyway, let's, let, let's, um, I'll go reverse this time. Vince, let's start with you. Do you have something good that you can recommend to our listeners that maybe might lift their spirits or brighten their day in some way? Uh, yeah, so uh, two, uh, two things. Uh, uh, the first is that, you know, with all the gyms closed and everything else, I think a lot of us have had to sort of reinvent our uh, physical activity regimen. Uh, and to that end, you know, I, I've been uh, laying myself slipping and just using the treadmill because it was sort of easier and, and, and the winter has something to do with that. But it's uh, 81 degrees right now as I sit here. It's a beautiful, sunshiny day. I can look out. I can see the, the water in Dorchester Bay from where I sit. 
And, uh, you know, it's uh, getting outside more to, to run and walk the dog, anything like that uh, is, is the best. The, the second thing is to cook. You know, restaurants are closed. My, my partner and I uh, would go out to dinner a lot. Uh, we haven't done that, obviously, at all for many months. Uh, we've sort of expanded our, our culinary regime and, you know, started a, an, an herb and vegetable garden here wow. in the backyard. Uh, you know, a reconnecting with the outdoor in that way and, and reconnecting with, uh, you know, starting things from scratch and, and carrying them all the way through, I think, has, has been one of the great side effects of the pandemic, if well, there's any side effects. What's your uh, go-to meal or the best thing you've uh, cooked during the pandemic? Best thing we've cooked. Um, we've we've done a really nice cook event uh, a couple of times, oh. um, uh, which has been which has been great. It's getting a little too warm for that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was, that was more of a, a, a early spring uh, type meal. Right. Uh, we're we're making some uh, fresh pesto this evening. So, oh my uh, goodness, I'm jealous. I, I'm I've my greatest creation has been um, uh, an egg version of the grilled cheese cheese egg well you get it people anyways coco van don't sleep on that that's great (laughs) that's good too um ben how about you uh well david i have two small children i have a five-month-old daughter and a two and a half year old daughter and the two and a half year old likes to go to um, a small field there's a little hill not far from our house and she likes to pencil roll herself down the hill (laughs) Uh, so the good stuff for me has been to uh, put myself in a pencil position from time to time and take the plunge down the hill with her. It gets some odd looks from some of the people walking by, but uh, good yeah, if you're you. not outside, if you're not outside and and, uh, and trying to enjoy yourself in some kooky way with all this craziness going on, then uh, you're 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 losing out. So that's that's it for me. I give you credit. That's a power dad move. So are, are we brushing a lot of uh, gravel and uh, grass off of our clothes after this move? Well, we, we, we pick and choose our spots very carefully. <laughs> we don't want to roll over any place that isn't uh, heavily grassed. Okay. So yeah, the grass is that that's, that's about as bad as it gets. Okay, great. And finally, Greg, how about some good stuff? I tried to use the pandemic to, um, get over anxiety about things that I'm not good at. So home improvement is the thing I'm trying to learn and uh, realizing that you can patch the hole in the wall or fix the refrigerator or the toilet or something. Um, And doing that has made me feel like I'm a little bit more useful around the house. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is I got a dog. So is there any excuse out there for not getting a pet? This is a good time to do it. What's the dog's name? The dog is Rainy. She is a, a pit bull mix that we rescued from the Northeast Animal Shelter in Salem, which, by the way, is a great operation. If anybody's looking to adopt Northeast Animal Shelters, excellent. Is the dog named after former Red Sox uh, right-hander of the 80s, Chuck Rainey? Probably not. Well, what, Rainy, like as in a rainy day? Uh, no, it was uh, the dog was named in the south from Georgia, R-A-I-N-E-Y. That's where oh. she's from. So the name came with her, and I just stuck with it. Well cool name i appreciate it and i appreciate you guys being such good sports i hope you enjoyed yourself on the boston podcast once again to get in touch with greg ben and vince go to henningstrategies.com and the other stuff phone number etc will be in the show notes of this show so check it out thank you very much gentlemen keep doing what you're doing and check in with me periodically because once a friend of the Boston podcast, always a friend of the Boston podcast, which by the way, listeners, you can find on Apple podcasts, please subscribe to us. Go to pod 617.com. If you'd like your own podcast, we're happy to work with you remotely 
and email me if you'd like to be on this show, david at pod617.com. On behalf of the badass bearded gang, well, Vince doesn't have a beard, but there's still time. Uh, Vince, Ben, and Greg from Henning Strategies. My name is Dave. I'm just a guy from Boston. But if you're not from Boston, you must be the other guy. Have a good day, everybody. Get out there on the hill and roll down. It's fun. It's fun. Everybody.